As a continuation from last week, you might remember we talked about governing authorities and honoring God and honoring people through that. And we mentioned that we are citizens of heaven. And so to kind of start off today's talk, I want to read the same verse that we read last week to start off the talk. But today we're going to add a couple verses afterwards. And so in Philippians 1, 27 through 29, Paul says this, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, and this is like the cool, important part that I bolded on my notes, is Paul says this, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign for them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. And so, above all, we conduct ourselves as citizens of heaven. So we talked about what that meant last week. We, we put our kingdom of God perspective above everything else that we do, above whatever country we are born in, whatever citizenship we have here on earth. I was walking around the school today, and there's these posters for, like, um, digital citizenship. And it's talking about, you know, like, changing your passwords, respecting people online, no cyberbullying, you know, don't try and take down websites on Friday when you're trying to watch Netflix or you're trying to, you know, buy stuff on Amazon. Don't, you know, don't do cyber warfare stuff. And so it was interesting because I was thinking, like, you know, we have this citizenship in the U.S. I have a citizenship in heaven because I'm a follower of Jesus. And now there's this, like, digital citizenship, which is really weird that we, that's a thing. And so, but, you know, change your passwords. You know, I've always heard changing your passwords is like changing your toothbrush. You want to do it every six months. And so that's just free. (laughs) I don't know. That just came to my brain. So, but back to the verse is that even when it seems like we are losing or we might seem we're being attacked, uh, our enemies are mounting against us. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, in the, as citizens of heaven, we're united with one spirit, one purpose for the gospel. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's like we get to unite behind the fact that Jesus came to earth, died for our sins, rose again, and that we have life in him. We, we get to give that life to other people. So we have the privilege of trusting in Christ, but we also might have to suffer for him. We might you know, people are going to think that's weird when you love the way Jesus loved people. And so sometimes that brings ridicule. Sometimes that brings criticism. For Christians now today in our world, that brings death and that's suffering. And, and Paul is saying that if you do that, that's not something to be ashamed of. Don't deny Christ so that you gain earthly life because we have a citizenship in heaven. And so that's where Paul's really coming from here. And so today the big idea is that love is the fulfillment of the law. We're, so we're continuing, we're getting away from this whole idea of what, how do we live in the citizenship of our countries and how do we, you know, do that. But now we're going to be talking specifically as citizens of heaven, what are we supposed to be doing? And so the big idea is, again, love is the fulfillment of the law. And so you, if you remember back in chapter 12, um, just a couple, few weeks ago when you we were talking about this here, we talked a lot about being living sacrifices for Christ, living our lives 
totally devoted to him as Jesus, the Lord of our lives. And so we do this through a number of ways. And we read that in chapter 12. We talked about enemy love. We talked about weeping with those who, who weep, being happy with those who are happy. We don't just pretend to love others, but we really love them. That's what Paul was teaching us in chapter 12. And then further back in chapters 9 through 11, in our last series, we talked about the law of God and how it works in after this time of Jesus that we're living now. We're living in the time of Jesus being alive inside of each and every one of us. And so we talked about God's mercy and that his love is for everyone Paul tells us of this past that we read in the Old Testament in the Bibles and how that works now with the grace and forgiveness that comes from Jesus. So even further back in Romans, in chapter 8, we talked about how Paul points out the fact that nothing could ever separate us from Christ's love for us. And so these are encouraging things. And so you have to think Paul is writing to a group of people for a context that they're living in right then. And so all throughout the book, Paul is, you know, talking about, he's explaining how to love like Jesus loved. He's explaining God's plan, the law. He's explaining grace, sin, just all these different topics. Paul explains so many different things. And so last week, we talked about governing authorities, and we looked at this time in our society. So we applied it to our circumstance in these next two weeks in this presidential election, and how, how should we look at these things? How should we look at these issues? And I don't know about you, I got my ballot in the box uh, this week, and I plan on doing this either today or tomorrow, and I'm just going to be like, I'm done with this, you know? I'm like, I'm just going to turn off Facebook, I'm going to turn off the TV, and then I'll find out on November 9th who's president. And so, you know, maybe I'll just take the next two weeks just to pray and fast, you know, for our country. And so, but it's, you know, I encourage you to do the same. Don't be weighted down by stress and worry about who's going to be the president. Do your part and then just love people. And so I think that's my only encouragement about that. But so Paul was writing to a context, to a church, to a group of people dealing with their own issues. And when they would read this teaching, they read it as a letter and they might say, you know what, I know what you mean there because I understand what you're saying. I'm applying it to my life. And so like, thank you, Paul. Thank you for writing that. And so I get why you wrote that. And then, but you might think at this time is that Paul keeps repeating himself. If you read the stuff we're reading today, it's going to be a repeat of what we talked about earlier, about loving others, about loving our neighbors. And so for us, when we read these 16 chapters together, together we too need to read it as an understanding about the teaching for the context of our lives and how God would want us to learn about his love for us, our love for other people, and to be encouraged by our relationships with Christ. So we're, we're going to read about a context in our lives. Paul's writing to a context to a specific church in a specific time of history. And so we get to apply it to our lives as well. And so in the passage of scriptures, Paul just got done explaining that we need to honor the governing authorities over us and that we need to pay the taxes that are required by, for us by the governments. And so Romans 13, 8 through 10, this is what he continues on a sentence. So this is right after he said, pay your taxes. And then he says this, owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. That's what we're going to hit on all day today is about loving one another. But then he goes on and says, if you love your neighbor, you'll fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. 
These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. Love fulfills the requirements of God's law. That's our big idea today. And so as we look at loving our neighbor, we need to realize that when we choose to truly love our neighbors, if we lived our lives and said, you know what, all I'm going to do today is I'm going to go to my job and I'm going to do my my responsibilities, but in doing those things, I'm also going to find every way that I possibly can to love other people, to love my neighbor wherever I find that neighbor. Then Paul says that you fulfilled the commandments of the law. You don't have to worry about committing adultery or murdering or stealing because you've been loving your neighbor. And so we're going to talk about what that means. But thought one today is that we owe an insurmountable amount of love to everyone. We owe an insurmountable amount of love to everyone. We owe only one thing to others, and that's this relentless pursuit to love other people. To just say, you know what, I want to truly love you, whoever you are. It doesn't matter that you're not a Christian. It doesn't matter that maybe you're a Muslim or you believe something different than I do about something. But I want to love you through whatever you're going through. And so other translations say it like this. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. The continuing debt. Like, it's just always piling on, but it's not this weight that we get when we sin. It's not this weight that, like, if you're thinking in the context of your money, it's not like it just keeps piling on. You have to keep, I have to owe it back, I have to owe it back, and I'm so stressed by this. But it's this freedom that comes from your debt of love that you owe to everyone, that all I have to do is just love people more and more and more. It's just a never-ending process. So it's not, it's not something to be like, oh no, I'm so worried. I, I have to love people today. It's, it's something to be rejoiced on and say, I get the opportunity to love people. We don't love other people because we get to store our good deeds in an account and then cash in someday. And so sometimes I think that's what we think our faith is, is that, you know what, I'm going to love people every day of my life, and then when I meet Jesus, then I'm going to cash all those good deeds in, and I'm going to get an awesome house in heaven. But that's not how it works. Paul says you have a never-ending debt to just love other people. We love because it's a debt we owe now, and we are drawing from the bank of love that is Jesus. Jesus has an insurmountable love for us. And through that, we have an insurmountable debt to love other people. So our example in the way of this life is, of course, Jesus. He teaches us how to love. He teaches us how to live. And so we get the privilege of loving others the way that he loved us, the way that he loved others as well. So when we look and we read in the gospel, we look at the way that Jesus lived his life, That's not just something that we say, you know, I get my salvation through the way he lived, but I also can look specific ways that Jesus loved people, and I get to do the same thing. It's free, and it's without account. And so where did Paul get this understanding of love and the debts we owe others? And so most certainly it comes from this passage of Jesus talking in Luke 10, 25 through 37. And so we read this story at the beginning of the year in our Love Does series, but I want to read it again. And so this is what it says. One day an expert 
in religious law. So this is someone who knew how to live exactly to the letter of the Jewish law. So this is someone who's like, you know, I'm going to do every list thing so that I can be right with God. He's an expert in religious law. It says he stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, (coughs) but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan, and so if you know about Samaritans at this time, they're a hated people group. For a Samaritan to go and love a Jewish person was like a scandal because it's like those people just don't mix together. And so it says the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who attacked the bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And so notice in this man's reply is he didn't say the Samaritan. He had to say the one who showed him mercy. And it just strikes me as odd because like this religious leader couldn't even say the word Samaritan in a positive sense. And so he says, I guess the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus says this. He says, yes, now go and do the same. And so by Jesus telling this story, it's kind of like Jesus just announcing to everyone, my love is a scandal for everyone. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what lifestyle you lived. We are going to love people no matter what. It doesn't matter if we know anything about them. It doesn't matter if we know who they are. If you see someone laying on the side of the road, you help them no matter what. And so for the, the priest and for the, the temple assistant, they had different reasons why they didn't want to help the, the person on the side of the road. Maybe they didn't want to be unclean. Maybe they were going to a church service and they had to stay, you know, ritually clean so that they could go and worship God. But Jesus said, none of that matters anymore. We are just going to love people. We are going to love our neighbors. The priest should have helped the man, but he didn't. The temple assistant should have helped the man, but he didn't. And of all people, the Samaritan shouldn't have helped the man if you were looking at the society of that time. But he did. He did help the man. So Jesus uses this story to explain his love for people, but to also explain how we can love others as well. And so he picks this person, the least likely hero for the Jewish people, to show them about who their neighbor was and how to love them. 
So it is in this way that we too are supposed to love our neighbors. And so at the beginning of the year, like I said, we walked through this this book together is called Love Does. It's by a guy named Bob Goff. And so if you are new to Open Life um, today or in the past few weeks and you haven't picked up a book, that's the book that we have as a free gift to you for being here. And it's just say, welcome. This is what Open Life is all about, is love does. It's like we believe that love does something. It doesn't just sit there, but love does. And it's just so cool. The premise of the book is basically that every opportunity is a new opportunity to love someone. And so it's really been kind of like a theme for us for this past year at Open Life. So I remember at the beginning of the year we talked about, you know, what could we do? What could we possibly do to just say, you know what, love does stuff. And so we, we thought, you know, hey, foster care is a big issue in our region. It's a big issue, issue in Pierce County. What can we do as a church? And so at Easter, we gave money um, just in honor of people showing up. So if people showed up, we gave $5 to the issue of foster care. And we also took an offering for it. And we said, you know, we're going to hold this aside. and We're going to dedicate this to foster care. And so as the months and weeks passed after that, we're like, okay, what do we do with this money? And so what's cool is that yesterday at the YMCA, we had this, like, fruition of finally those funds coming together to do something awesome. And so if you weren't there, we're going to show video of it next week um, just as an update to so you can see actually what happened. But I just want to say thank you to every person that was able to be at the Y yesterday to help pack those bags. What these were, these duffel bags for kids going to the foster system so they don't have to just put their stuff into a trash bag. When they're going through this, like, terrible time in their lives, they get to have a, at least a bag that says, you know what, you're loved, you're cherished, you're worth more than a trash bag. And so it might seem like just a simple thing, the people that, that were there, but I just want to thank Heidi and Beth for just doing an awesome job yesterday of facilitating that and doing that. But that's the things that we get to do. That's like love does. That's what we get to do together. And so the next thing that we're going to be doing is that we get to love people that can't afford a Thanksgiving meal. We love the foster community and we're still going to do stuff. But now our next thing down the line is that we get to love people who can't afford a Thanksgiving meal. Our neighbors. And so make sure you pay attention at the end of service today because we're going to be telling you a little bit about the big give coming in November, just about, just a little under a month away. And so just, you know, put those things on your calendar, mark those things, get ready, sign up, go to the website, communitybiggive.com. But those are, these are all corporate things. These are big things that Open Life does as a church. It's like we do it as a group of people dedicated to just saying, you know what, love does. We're going to love our neighbors no matter what. When we love our neighbors, they don't owe us anything. And so whether it's a sweet cases event, the big give, the school supply give, when we give to Convoy of Hope or Charity Water, those are just a few things Open Life does as a group. But if we do those things and don't personally take ownership of the love that Jesus has for us and say, you know what, I'm going to love my neighbor personally in whatever circumstance I in, I'm in, then we lose something. So whether it's our real-life neighbors in our neighborhoods, whether it's our coworkers, whether it's our family members, our kids as school teachers, 
people we see at the gym, those friends that we haven't maybe been in contact with in a while, whoever it is. Paul says in Romans 13, 8, he says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. So thought number two is we need to be careful of our debts. And so this is like a transition to more of a practical looking at our debts. And specifically, I want to talk about our finances and our money. We can't forget that the practical thing Paul was saying just before this verse was you need to pay your taxes to the government. Whatever you owe, you need to give to that. You need to honor everyone. And then he says, owe nothing to anyone. And so although he's talking about love and he's talking about just owing an insurmountable of debt to as many people we know, he's also saying, you know, owe nothing to anyone. And so that is our finances as well. And so for many people, a huge issue in our country is debt. Whether it's a house, whether it's car payments, whether it's credit card payments, student loans, medical bills, maybe you got a TV or a piece of furniture on 12 months, no interest, and you have to owe that back. That's all debt. That is all stuff that you owe other people. And so this isn't finance class. I'm not Dave Ramsey, and I don't claim to be. And so I'm not going to get into super technical things like just, you know, guys, go get this loan for 6.9%, APR, all these acronyms, and, you know, stuff like that. I don't know anything. And I used to work at a bank. So, um, but I am want to say is that when we're talking about debt and we're talking about finances, there's always a line. There's always a line when it comes to debt. What are you willing? What's the line when it comes to your family's debt? Is it just a house? Is it a house and a car? Is it a house and a car? And maybe, you know, we're willing to put stuff on our credit card and pay it back the next month, even if we don't have the money now. Maybe your thing is, you know, like we have medical bills. That's just something, a reality for our family. And maybe you're saying that's like our reality. And so you say we have this house, we have these medical bills. But, but you know what? We really want to go, you know, buy this huge TV. But I don't have the money for it. And so when we're talking about, Paul is specifically saying, he's saying, you know, pay your taxes. And the next thing he says is owe nothing to anyone. And so this is not to say like, don't buy a house, always rent, always have the money. But it is to say, be very mindful of when you owe money to other people. Be very mindful when you enter into these contracts, into these agreements, because you think, you know what, I'm going to have the money next month. Because oftentimes, we don't get that money that we think we have, or we spend that money on other stuff that we needed it to. And so when you have multiple debts, when you're when you're paying all these things and you say at the end of the month is like, oh shoot, I actually spent more than I actually have, because then you become a slave to your finances and you lose opportunities to love others. And chief among these opportunities are with your family, your spouse and your kids. And so whether this means, you know what, you know what, I spent too much money last year, last month, I got to go get a, another job. I have to work some overtime. That's time that you're working extra at your job, that you could be spending time with your wife or your kids. Or maybe it's just the stress of it. Maybe it's the stress of your debt, and you'd say, you know what? My kids probably just don't think I'm very fun to be around. When we're a slave to our debt, we become, a, we become a slave to that, and we get distracted from the 
huge teaching that God has for us to love our families and to love our other people. So a lot of this is time. A lot of this is like talents and treasure. Like when we're having to just stress and just sit on our debt and worry about that, then we rob ourselves of pursuing dreams and of things that maybe don't even cost money. Like maybe you want to get really good at like drawing. You just want to be an artful person. And you say, I can't do the things I love because I'm so stressed and I'm so worried about this mountain of debt that I owe. Our time, talents, and treasure should be dedicated to loving others, not trying to repay a debt that we foolishly got ourselves into. Our only debt should be love. And so this is not to just say, like, you know, sell your houses, give all your money to them. I'm not even talking about giving to the church. I'm talking about the specific finances that you have for your family. We give to God what is God's. We give to Caesar what is Caesar, which is our taxes. And then we get to invest in ourselves. And so do we have a plan for that? Do we have a plan to invest in our families, in our future, in the way that we live our lives? Don't let the comparison problem where we say, you know what, well, they have this and I want to keep up with them. Don't let the American dream and keeping up with the Joneses kind of mentality rule your life. Know what God has called you to do and then do it for your family. And that is directly applicable to our finances. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. That's what, that's what Paul says. And so then he goes on in Romans 13, 11 through 14. He says, this is all the more urgent for you, <clears throat> for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge in your evil desires. So Paul ends Romans 13. And he basically says, and this is our thought today, is that we are not in this twilight. We are in the dawn. And so as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're not in this dark times where we're saying we're preparing for the worst. We're preparing for the future. And it's going to be so evil and dark. And when we project that on people, it's like, why would I want to follow that? (laughs) But we're in this time of the dawn where it's like, The best is yet to come. Jesus is coming, and I want all my friends, all my neighbors to join with me on the ride that is following Jesus. And it's like we all get to be a part of that. It's like we're not in this twilight where, you know, we're saying I'm getting closer and closer to the darkness. It's like twilight is in the evening when you know it's about to get super dark and it's about to get super scary, and then you're just going to freak out. But we're in this time, you know, we've gone through the storm, Jesus has gone through the storm with us. He died and rose again for our salvation. And as followers of Jesus, we're now in this time of dawn, just waiting for the light. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And so as we're preparing for this time of light, we need to be people who let that light shine 
from ourselves because we already have it. We already have that light and we're showing people the light is coming and I want you to be a part of the team too. I want you to walk with me. I want you to know the love that I know. I want to love you the way that Christ loved me. So Paul uses this analogy of taking off dirty clothes and putting on shining armor. And he ends this thought of clothing ourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothing ourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a cool picture. And I don't know about you, but I've never been accused of being what you might call fashion forward, I guess, you know, where you say like, oh, he's always with the hip and new trends, you know? My goal in shopping is to just not be fashion reverse, you know? It's like, I'm, let's just be honest, I'm fashion neutral. So it's just like, I go to Costco and I buy like two pairs of jeans, two hoodies, some V-neck t-shirts, and I'm like, I'm good. That's my thing. That's my jam. And so you know it's really bad because you walk down the stairs and maybe Danny, or maybe I won't throw her under the bus. I go to work or just in public, and they're like, oh, you look nice. And you're like, um, I'm just wearing jeans and a t-shirt. It's not like I dressed up. So how bad was I been dressing before? You know, so it's like, but what Paul says is like, we need to put on, take off these dirty clothes, take off these old ragged clothes and the way that we lived our lives and put on the presence of Jesus. It's like new clothing. So I don't know about you. Maybe you have that outfit that sits in your closet that's like, when I'm going out on the town, when I'm going to look my best, I'm going to put on these shoes, these pants, this shirt. I look good. And maybe, maybe you don't have that. Mine is way down at the end of the closet because I know I can't fit into it right now. But maybe you have more of another outfit that's like, man, when I wear these sweats, this sweatshirt, I know I'm just super comfortable and I'm confident in who I am. That's me on Sunday afternoons watching football. It's like I'm in the presence of the Lord in my comfortable clothes, watching football, having a good time. So this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, take off these dirty clothes, get into that outfit that is the presence of God, and just let it overtake you so that people can see what you're wearing, to see your new life, to see the way that you're living and loving people. I remember there's this time where it's just like in college where I would be super stressed out. It was my senior year, just doing too many things, not enough hours in the day, and there was this time where I would just be like, I would huddle, and it, now that I think about it, it's probably something clinical going wrong with me, but I would just huddle into this like, just like almost fetal position, but I was sitting down, so I wasn't on the ground. But I was just, just intently praying, it's like, God, just overtake me. Show me what you want to do with my life. Let me walk into your plan. Let me walk into your will. But those are some of the best times of prayer. Like, you're just like, man, God, I feel your presence surrounding me. Clothing myself in you so that I can go on and make decisions that I know that you want me to make. I'm taking time to just rest in your presence, to put on that clothing. 
to say, God, what are you calling me? What are you asking me to do? And so as if we were wearing our nicest outfit or our most comfortable outfit, that's how we should wear the presence of Jesus. We wear that on ourselves when we love our neighbor. When we are active in loving our neighbors, we are showing who we belong to. It's like on a Blue Friday when you have your Seahawks jerseys, like, I'm part of the team. That's what we get to do when we clothe ourselves in Jesus and when we love other people is we can say, I'm on the team and I'm loving other people. I'm bringing them closer to the light. We belong to, to Christ. We show the light. We are preparing for the day, not the night. And so today our action point is simply this, is to love your neighbor. For the Roman church that Paul's writing to, the question was, should I follow the Jewish law? Or should I fully put myself into following Jesus and to love the way that he did? And so for Paul, it was a no-brainer. He said, follow Jesus, love others, and you have already fulfilled the law. Remember, we read in that first verse in chapter, in Romans 13, 8 through 10, it said, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. If you love your neighbor, how would you ever come close to breaking those commandments? There is freedom from the law when we choose to love people because we don't even mess with the law. How would I commit adultery and how would I love my wife and my family if I'm following Jesus? It's like I would never even get close to committing adultery. If, how would murder ever be loving our neighbors? <laughs> Why would we ever murder someone if we're choosing to take every opportunity to love our neighbors in whatever situation that we find ourselves in? How would stealing or any kind of fraud be considered loving our neighbor? How would jealousy or coveting something ever be considered loving our neighbor? When we love our neighbor, we fulfill the law. Our focus is not on this list of commands, not of these lists and do's and don'ts, but our focus is continually on, do I love my neighbor? And so as we are in our relationships with Jesus and we're choosing to put them on our sleeve like new clothing, let me encourage you with this, is that you wear it well. You know, you're walking down the stairs, you got the presence of Jesus on you. It's like, yeah, you look dressed up, you look good. You can wear it well. Love looks good on you when you love your neighbor. And so if you can take anything from this is to know that God looks at you and he's saying, man, I love it when you love other people. I love it when you love your neighbor. You look good. It looks good on you. So let's do it more often. Let's put on those outfits every day that says, whatever situation I find myself in today, I'm going to love someone. I'm going to love my neighbor because love just does stuff. Doesn't mean you have to feel like you have to change the world, but it does mean you get to change whatever circumstances it is. Maybe it is something like, instead of just smiling at someone at work, you just say, take that one question that would just say, you know what, I'm here for you a little bit more than just a superficial conversation. How was your weekend? Are you going through something? That's the way that we love people. And we get good at it. We get better at it. But God loves the way you look when you, when you love other people.
you wear it well. So let's pray together. Let's love our neighbors. And let's maybe take the time during worship just to clothe ourselves in the presence of God. Because when we love others, we fulfill the law completely. God, I just thank you for this morning to come into your presence, to take an opportunity to draw closer to you. And I pray, Lord, that each day of this week that we would take time to just clothe ourselves in your presence, God. That we would just come before you and say, God, who do you want me to love today? Who is my neighbor? That you would show us when we're driving to our jobs, when our kids come down for breakfast in the morning, God, let us love them the way that you loved us, God. Lord, just show us whatever it is, whatever situation you've put us in, God, let us learn to love our neighbors wherever we're at. God, I just thank you for your love that you have for us. I thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for your resurrection, for your salvation that you brought to us, God. Lord, let let that be our focus today. Let us focus on loving others. And God, let us, in doing that, fulfill the law. Let us wear it on our sleeves. Let us put it forward and show people, God, who we are as sons and daughters of you. So we ask this in your name. Amen.